0: God, we come humbly before your throne room of grace this morning. You have both a plan and a vision for this church. We are here this morning to celebrate all that you've done over almost 150 years in the life of this church. It's only by your grace and goodness and kindness to us that the doors of this building are still open. As we see, every year, hundreds of churches around the U.S. close its doors. For whatever reason, you've allowed us to remain in this spot to present your gospel to both the believer and the unbeliever, and we're grateful for that. And now, God, we come to you and we ask for your wisdom and your guidance as we seek who would that person be to watch and care and shepherd our youth, 6th through 12th grade? Pray, God, that you would raise someone up within this body that has a passion for you and a passion for students, a desire to teach and lead students both far from you to surrender a life to you, those who have already surrendered their life. We pray that you would allow them to continue to grow in your knowledge. So God, we pray if that person's sitting in this room this morning that you would quicken their hearts to respond. and Come to myself or one of the deacons and let us know their desire. God, if that person is not in here, we ask that you would bring that person to us. Way of, of a move or someone that's already moved here that's looking for a church. God, they would come and be a part of this body and express the desire to lead these youth that we have. Yet, God, if those are not your wills for us to have someone here, to bring someone, we pray that then you'd just open our minds and hearts and give us a great wisdom as we would look outside through resumes, exploration of relationships for that person. I do pray for our youth, God. I pray that you'd continue to protect them and lead them and guide them. They, We live in such a dark, dark world, a world that is wanting to rob them of all that you've created them to be, all the challenges that they face. So I, I pray even now for them. I pray for the students that are in this room this morning, and I, I pray for those students that they have not come to know you as their personal Lord and Savior, that this morning through the work of the Holy Spirit, you draw them to yourself, and that you'd use these students as they get ready to go back to school as salt and light into their school, that they'd bring the gospel message to a dark, dark place. But I do pray for protection, God, and both mentally, physically, emotional, and for sure spiritual protection on their hearts. They are not just the future of the church, they are the church, they are a part of us. You've used you throughout the histories, God. You used young Timothy to, through the work of the Apostle Paul to bring a revolution. I pray that you would raise up young Timothy's here in our midst. Let us as the wiser, older, more mature men and women in this church lead and guide them, disciple them and train them up in your way. Whether that's through study, through hanging out, through words of encouragement, God. I pray that we'd set the example, what it means to know you and to make you known, to glorify you with our lives. So lead us as a church. We look for a youth pastor. Now, God, we come to you and we ask that you would open our minds and our hearts and our ears to your holy word. Your inerrant, inspired word. It's infallible, written by man through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Pray as we look at this, these few verses this morning, that you would encourage our hearts. That you would encourage our relationships. Both in the home and outside the home. So lead us, guide us. Open us to what you would have for us this morning. I pray this all in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen. We are here in Colossians chapter 3 as we are making our way through this small letter that Paul penned to this church in Colossae. This church uh, only lasted a few years, but what what Paul was getting at and we've seen and we've studied over the, the last few weeks is that this church had began to hear things. Now, outside of the gospel, the gospel is the message of Jesus Christ, that it's through the power and the work of a perfect man coming and living wholly on this planet to show us what it means to follow Jesus, so much so that the world hated him, that he lived such a perfect life that the Pharisees and the Sadducees of his day wanted to kill Jesus for that, and they, they did. They hung him on a cross. But it's through him hanging on a cross and for him being obedient to God as the sacrifice of, that he provided for us, which allows us to get in to the throne room of God's grace. And so Paul is going back and telling this young church, it's, it's Jesus plus nothing equals your salvation. Because the teachers of the day were saying, no, it's Jesus plus your activities, it's Jesus plus this, it's Jesus plus that, that equals your salvation. So yes, it's from Jesus, but you have to do something to earn it and you have to do something to keep it. And Paul is saying, no, no, it's by Christ and Christ alone. The first two chapters are the theology, or the, the, the Christology of the book. It's Paul listing out who Christ is. And then everything else flows out of that. And so what we've got to see in this passage this morning, that this hinges on who Christ is. So if you don't understand who Christ is, then this passage of Scripture won't make sense to you. That's why the world hates this passage. This is a very difficult passage to preach. It's a very difficult passage to read. It's a very difficult passage to study because everything in our world is contrary to what this passage says. But it all hinges on Christ and Christ alone. You see, what Paul has done in chapter 3 is talk at the, uh, talks to us about relationships and how we are to live in relationships. He's talking first about the church, how we, the church, are to live in relationships. And now Paul says to us, he goes one step further. He goes into the home. So these three relationships are bound within the home. So you have the husband and wife relationship. You have the child and parent relationship. And you have the bondservant with the master relationships. But all those relationships are in the confines of a home. And what Paul is getting at is to say this to us. If there's anything that you walk away from, this passage this morning is this. And we know this to be true. Where does Satan attack the most? The home. Because Paul understood that if we could live out the gospel in our homes, then we could live out the gospel in our neighborhoods. And if we live out the gospel in our neighborhoods, then we'll live out the gospel in the world. And so Christ came to redeem marriages. Christ came to redeem relationships with children. And Christ came to redeem relationships with, with worker and master. And so I want to talk this morning about these three relationships. But we have to get our minds and hearts Around what Paul is talking about. Because it flows out of the passage we read two weeks ago. You see, if you were in that living room that day. That Philemon had been reading that letter. It was in his house. So most likely it was Philemon reading the letter in his house. Philemon would have been reading this out loud. But it flows out of verse 17. And this is what Paul says in verse 17. Verse 17. In whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. Now we pause there and put a marker in our Bibles and separate it. But the reader of the text, of the letter, would not have paused. He would have just kept going. So we would say, hey, do all that you do in the name of the Lord, word and deed, give thanks to God, and wives, submit to your husband. So it's going to flow out of how our relationship is with Christ that we do these other relationships. And so now he gets our attention. So he addresses the wives first. So wives, I'll address you first this morning. But in every relationship you'll see in the text, it's the secondary part of the relationships that is key. So when we read the text, it says, wives submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. But it ought to read first, talk to the husband. But Paul addresses the wife. He always addresses, you'll see it throughout his writing, he always addresses the more fragile one of the relationship. He says it this way in another one of his writing, the weaker vessel. That doesn't mean that you women are weak. He just simply means, that men are a representation of Christ. That's who we are. We are to represent Christ to you as husbands. And so Paul addresses the wives first. He says, wives, submit to your husband as fitting to the Lord. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. He goes in way more length. I taught on this A few years ago. But he says the same thing in many more words in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22 he says this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. But where does that flow out of? It flows out of verse 21. Look what verse 21 says in chapter 5. Submitting to one another out of reverence for the Lord. So now we turn back to Colossians. This is a double submission. It's not simply that we, you, wives, simply submit to us as husbands. It is a double submission. We are to submit to you as well. And so we know this to be true. There is a double submission that we are both to be living in relationship with one another in submission to one another because that's what Paul starts with in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22. It doesn't simply mean, hey, wives, you have to submit to us as husbands and husbands, we get to do whatever we want and they have to submit to us. No, we submit to one another as so we submit to Christ. So now let's turn back to Colossians chapter 5. So wives... We are meant, you are meant to submit. That word submission in the Greek means this, a willing submission. A desirous submission. Not a begrudging submission. And in every one of these places, there is an example given to us by one person. Christ. Christ came and lived a life of total submission. And so, wives, you must look to Christ as the one who submits. Remember, Christ came. Christ was fully man and fully God. And yet, Christ says, I am a man under submission. I live with obedience to the Father. Christ and the Father are one. They're equals. But even Christ himself had to submit himself to God. And so I would say to you, wives, the greatest example you have of submission is who? Christ. And so I'd ask you first, do you know Christ well enough to know how to submit to him as he submitted to the Father? That is your perfect example. But now, husbands, I'll turn the majority of the attention to us. You see, a wife is only going to be willing to submit to us if what Paul says is true. You see, because their submission is to their husbands as is fitting to the Lord. They're not submitting to us primarily. They're submitting to the Lord. So what is our response to that? How are we to lead them into healthy, godly submission? Husbands, what does it say? Love your wife. You see that word love in the Greek is not a friendship love. It's not even an erotic love. That word is agape. The word agape in the Greek means an unconditional love. And so I'd ask you husbands, do you love your wife unconditionally? Or do you love her and have to attach conditions to it? If she does this, then I'll love her. If she doesn't do that, then I'll love her. No, the word in the Greek means no conditions are attached to that love. And so Husbands, we are to love our wives. He says in Ephesians chapter 5, we are to love our wives as what? Christ loved the church. So husbands, who is our example to love our wife? It's Christ. And I'd ask this to you, husband. How did Christ love the church? Sacrificially. You see, Christ gave his only life, for his only bride, the church. He gave his life to a people that hated him. It says that we were his enemies before we even became the church. And before we, he, we became the church, he loved his enemies unconditionally and sacrificed his love for those that would hate him. And I would ask you, husbands, do you love your wife unconditionally? Conditional. And then he gives this disclaimer of what that can look like and ought to look like. Husbands, love your wives and not be harsh with them. That word harsh in the Greek means this. We ought not to hold resentment against them. You see, one of my jobs is a counselor. That's what I do with most of my hours during the week. And most of the men that come to me come with a bag of resentment towards their wife for what she won't do for them, how she won't provide for them, how she won't, how she won't. I'm like, man, how much resentment are you going to hold against your wife? Most marriages that I see day in and day out in my job end because of one word. Resentment. And I'd go back and submit to you what Christ says to the husband and the wife here. We are to live in submission with one another. And husbands, we are to love our wives sacrificially. And wives, we are submit to one another. The only way that will happen is through one word forgiveness. And so if you're here this morning, and you have a bag of resentments toward your wife or toward your husband, this is for you. Repent of that. Because Satan will use resentment to end marriages quicker than anything else. Most people think it's the top three, sex, money, and communication. That is not what marriage ends over. All of those can be tied back to resentment. Sex piece is men don't get as much as they want when they want it. So they have resentment. The wives get resentful because men don't talk enough. That's resentment. And money, they don't talk at all about money. Resentment. And so if you're here this morning, you're struggling in your marriage. I'd submit to you. Start with forgiveness. But I'd ask you, husbands, first, are you loving your wife as Christ? Love the church. Why would a wife ever want to submit to you if you did not love her the way Christ loved the church? Paul could stop there, but he doesn't. So, for the handful of children in this building this morning, please pay attention to me. That's these two rows and that row in the back. So, this is for you, children. Paul doesn't just stop with that. He says to you, children, he says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So, children, I'd ask you this. Do you obey your parents in everything? See, Paul doesn't say it pleases the parents. What does Paul say? It pleases the Lord. So, when you act in obedience to what your parents have to say, you are pleasing the Lord. Out of all the commandments that God would give to us, the top 10, one of them is honor your father and your mother. The way we honor them is through obedience. Now, to ask this question to you, parents, it comes out of where first? It comes out of verses 18 and 19. Are you providing a home that is safe and secure for your children to act in obedience? See, Paul doesn't start with children. Paul starts with the nucleus, the the mom and the dad. He's going to get on to the, the parents here in a minute. But he starts with, do you provide a home that is safe for your children? Again, I work with families. What I see most when kids come to me, is they live in chaotic homes and their parents wonder, why are my parent, why are my kids not obeying me? Well, look at the chaos they live in. You see, when you live in chaos and you don't have a wife that submits to a husband and a husband that loves his wife, there's chaos, and kids don't do well in chaos. So children, are you obeying your parents? But parents, are you providing a space? for there to be healthy obedience. Now Paul goes on and says this in verse 21. He says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. The word fathers could also be used as parents. He's addressing moms and dads. As I was studying in the car yesterday through this text, this is the place that the Lord had me stop often. I think I don't do a very good job of this part. If I'm honest, as a pastor, as a dad, I I don't think I do a great job of not provoking my children. And what that means is I don't think I I do a great job of encouraging. I I think I do a great job of discipline. I, I think I do a great job of correction. I think I do a great job of love. But the place I think I do a poor job of bringing encouragement to them. And what Paul is saying to us, don't provoke them, don't harass them, but encourage them. I tend to be the the dad that looks at things and points out the faults rather than the dad that looks at all the things they've done that have been worthy of praise. That's where God has convicted me of this place this week. And so I'd ask you, moms and dads, do you provide a safe space? And do you moms and dads, Bring a place of encouragement and not discouragement to your children. Paul doesn't stop there. He now goes on to verses 22 through chapter 4, verse 1. And says this, bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service or people pleasing. But with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back, for the wrong he has done, for there is no partiality. So Paul first addresses the bondservant, or in our day it would be the employee. So if you are employed by someone, then I would ask this question. Is this true for you? Is it true for me? I am employed by somebody. Do I obey the people that God has placed above me? You see, Romans 13 says this, that we are to submit ourselves or we are to obey the authority that God has placed over us. Why? Because he is ultimately the one that's in authority. He's the one that places authority over us. And so Paul says in Romans 13, he says again here, hey, we are under authority. Are, do we obey those that God has placed over us? And then he says this, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. What he means by that, don't be obedient just when your employer is watching. What well, Paul is saying, when the guy isn't watching or you're leader isn't watching, your employer isn't watching, act the same way as if he were standing right over your shoulder every minute of the day. Don't do it to please them. Why? Who are we to please? We are to fear the Lord and work heartily for the Lord, not for men. Everything we do ought not to be for our boss, but for our master, God. And then Jesus, through Paul, says this, you're going to get your reward. See, a lot of times I think we work for our earthly reward. That may never come. But Paul promises us in this text. There's a promise in this text. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. Work us for the Lord and to the Lord because the Lord will give you a blessing and an inheritance. It may not be monetarily. But you can bank on, because Paul says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, there is an inheritance for you if you work as if you're working for the Lord. But then Paul gives one negative in the text. He says, but hey, if you don't work hard and you don't work hard for the Lord, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, for there is no partiality. If you don't work hard and you don't work hard for the Lord, you will will give an account for that, is what Paul is saying. If you cut corners, you'll give an account for that. You clock in five minutes late and say you're on time, you'll have to give an account for that. Clock out five minutes early or leave early and say you're there longer. All the places that we can take shortcuts. Paul is saying you can't outwit the Lord. You will give an account for that. Now he addresses those that are employers or those who have rule over other people. Masters. I would think most of us in this room are both. We have people above us and we have people below us. Now he addresses us that have authority over people. He says, masters, treat your servants in two ways, justly and fairly. Be just to them and be fair to them. How come? Knowing that you have a master in heaven. And that master does two things for you. He treats you with justice. And he treats you with fairness. Again, every example that we have in the text comes back to Christ and Christ alone. So I'll walk through all of those places. Wives. Our example is Christ as he submitted himself to the Lord. Husbands, we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents and honor them the same way that Christ obeyed his mom and dad. Jesus had parents that he obeyed. But parents, let us model how we are to parent and shepherd children after the way Christ has parented and shepherded us. With love, unconditional. Bond servants, let us be reminded that we work not for man, but for the Lord. The same way that Christ did not work for man, but served the Lord. And masters, let us remember that we have a master that judges us with fairness and justice in heaven. How are our relationships in our homes? Do they model Christ let us pray this morning. God I'm grateful for your son Jesus that models for us these relationships that every one of us in the room can look to you as the perfect model whether we're a wife whether we're a husband a child a parent an employee or an employer we look to you as the perfect Example. Christ, I'm grateful for your submission. Christ, I'm grateful for your love. Christ, I'm grateful for your obedience to your Father. Christ, I'm grateful that you do not provoke me, but you encourage me. I'm grateful, Christ, that you made yourself a bondservant to please the Lord. And Christ, I am grateful you are the great master who judges justly and fairly. May we model our relationships after you, Christ. Pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus. Amen. If you're here this morning and you're in one of these relationships that just needs prayer find me find one of the day we'd love to pray over you and for you if you're here this morning you don't know christ as your savior we'd love to share that with you as well the greatest gift that could ever be given to you is the gift of salvation now let's stand as we
1: worship. Sing this chorus out, and then we're just gonna actually sing one specific verse, verse two. But let's just sing this chorus plus. i
0: I want to invite Rob up. You know, we have some missionaries that we are committed to praying for, and they've sent a special prayer request, and so I'd like to invite Rob to share that request with us